This next conversation has been one of the most difficult for me. I sat down with Dave and Jeanette Casera. Their daughter, 22-year-old Shayla, died just 15 months after Emily. Much like me with Emily, they didn't have any idea that Shayla was using heroin until just a few months before her death. Our daughters were very much alike, including those rebellious teenage years. And, just like Emily, Shayla also left behind younger siblings who now have their own grief to deal with. The man accused of providing Shayla with the drugs laced with fentanyl will be in court next month in the very first state case of drug distribution leading to death. They are speaking out in Shayla's memory and honor in hopes of helping other families experiencing the same kind of loss to overdose. Well, Jeanette and Dave, thank you so much for being here today. Really appreciate you joining me. Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you. I am so sorry for the loss of Shayla. And every I didn't know her, but everything I see and read about her, she seems so much like my daughter. Yes. I mean, about the same age, 22? Yeah. 22, a young life. Tell me about Shayla. Just tell me about her. She had such a warm smile, beautiful soul. Everybody just gravitated toward her. She was in color guard. She was dancing since she was four. Acted dancing. Made friends easily. People loved her. She met a lot of our friends. My friends just adored her. I was just so happy to hear how people loved her as much as we do. And she was athletic. She was a dancer. She was personable. She was outgoing. Did yeah. you did you ever think that she might end up using drugs? Not, no, not at no. all. Um, I can understand the experimenting, you know, with the cannabis and those There's types of things. The first times we found out about this was when she got in a car accident. She was in a car accident. How old was she? Yeah. She it was, was like 20? twenty-one. So a year before she died. Approximately. Right. She got in a car accident. And so you didn't know. You didn't know anything. No, we went to the court hearing, and that's the first time we ever heard of track marks. They found there was track marks on her arms. We're like, what? I can't. What even is this? I can't. I have no idea because that was not her. I can't imagine the shock because I felt that shock after Emily died, right? But she's still alive, and you find out there are track marks on her arm. They put her on probation. This is what we're kind of angry about, but. They put her on probation, and she was doing awesome. She was doing really good. Looked healthy, working yeah, multiple she jobs. Was working, and they took her out probation early. Because she in was a, doing so week, well? Or no, was it like it was three, three, weeks, three later. weeks later she died? She's like, why would you take her off early? She's doing so good. Just keep her, keep her going in this direction. So, but, but they took her off early because she was doing good. I will give her that, but she could if, if she, she could have used... The extra time, I think, she would have been. Had her behavior ever raised suspicions? Now, looking back, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Like you say, you, you didn't know she was even doing anything. Kind of in the mood. You could kind of tell. She'd get angry kind of quickly, kind of switch her. We had trouble times. With well, we did. I mean, all teenagers. Like her behavior. Yeah. And I had that with Emily, yeah. too. Kind of and the anger coming at you and kind of the roller coaster ride. Mm-hmm. Um, what age did that start? Early teens, I would say. So do you think she had been experimenting and using drugs maybe for that whole time? Or did she ever tell you? No, No. she never said anything. Um, 
and the group of girls that she was hanging with at that time, I, I didn't see any of that. I, I must have been blinded if she were. Because yeah, I couldn't no, see it. No inkling that she was. Not until she got to her 20s is when I noticed her mood swings a little more. In his heart, was she living in your home? She was not. And I think time. that's really hard, too, because my daughter wasn't living under my roof. Mm-hmm. No. And I knew there were issues with her because we I, I've been dealing with something since high school, uh, cannabis, you know, Xanax, that kind of thing. Sure. And was really concerned about what the road she was going down. So I was already suspicious where it sounds like in your case, you weren't. But also when they don't live under your roof, you don't know what they're doing. You don't. Yeah. It's it's. Especially they're kind of distant with you at that time, too. It's because they want their freedom. They don't want their parents to know everything that they're doing. I mean, we just happened to go to this court hearing and find it out. And we were stunned that she actually had track marks. It really was. Did she talk to you about it? She did. And actually... And she denied it. She denied it for a while. But that year in probation, we really became really close. Her, she started coming around more. Yeah, coming to because she wasn't us. using. Because she wasn't, wasn't using. using. Because I found more. that yeah, Emily would be yeah. around really distant. Yeah, mm-hmm. was going to her their football games and. How old were her brothers when she died in 2019? Uh, they would have been like 12 and 13. 12 and 13. Oh, really young. Yeah. So it was hard to tell them that. And so she starts coming around again, but she did she ever really fess up like here's what I was doing and here's why? Never. No. No, we touched base a little bit about it. Her good friend actually passed away a week before Shayla did from fentanyl overdose. And I remember- Did you know this girl? We had a conversation with her, like, because she was on probation. She was on probation at the time. Are you kidding me? Are you doing this as well? And she's flat out denied, never, never would I do this. She said she'd never do it again. And it was- That was a week before her friend passed. I think her friend lived in Portland at the time. Our friend wasn't living here. Yeah, I think she was in Portland. So I I had heard. We did grill her on that, though. Like, you are not doing this. And and part of the reason I'm asking you all these questions about this is because I think a lot of parents who listen to this podcast may be worried, Mm -hmm. right? Or just think something is off. Is there like an instinct? You know, something's not quite right. And so. I, we, I, I'm often asked about the signs. What were the signs? Mm-hmm. You know, and we were planning an intervention when yeah, Emily died. So there were signs, but it sounds like in Shayla's case, other than this car accident. Yeah. We never would have known. She wasn't around a lot because she was living on her own or with her boyfriend or whatever. And yeah, you're right. Unless we had this car accident deal where we went to court, we had no idea. Yeah, no signs leading up to it. No, because she had been doing so well, because she was on probation. Right, so they let her off early, and obviously she relapsed. She wasn't ready. Yeah, she wasn't ready to have that freedom. I mean, you need more time away from those people that you were hanging with, because they will fester on you. They don't care about her sobriety. They just care about her care about getting Care about getting high, getting and high. they care about having... I think like-minded people are people who are also mm-hmm. suffering from this disease of addiction to hang out with, to make, to, to normalize it, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. To make everything okay. Yep. Tell me about the circumstances surrounding her death. So she was dog watching at Jeanette's mom's house. Mom was at the lake. Yeah, she was gone. So she was watching the house. We got a call from one of 
her mom's friends that lives in the area and uh, said, hey, she, I think she called your mom and your mom texted us or something. But she's like, you better get over to your mom's house. There's a bunch of cops outside. We thought, oh, because she, she's done this before. Well, she's throwing a party at the mom's house. Everybody's away. So we hopped in the car and drove over there the whole way thinking she's going to be in big trouble because she's having a party, right? Yeah. So we pulled up and uh, all these cops out front. I was going to walk into the up. house and they wouldn't let me walk, in the, house. walk in the house. Yeah, and she, at that point I knew she was gone. She not basically dropped to the driveway. Just sitting in the, sitting in the rain. Yeah, I didn't. I, I, a bunch I, of people came over. But the the officers were great to us. Were you able to see her? He told me I didn't, I shouldn't go in. I saw her when she came out. I just had to like identify her, I guess, is what they said. I I wonder, I have mixed emotions about this because, Jeanette, you didn't get to see her. I wanted to hold her. Right. And I did. You did. I did. I was up in the, I got to the apartment where she was living when the emergency workers were still working on her, although she was gone. But they had given her a couple of doses of Narcan and they had her hooked up to the breathing machine. And so I saw all that in the doorway. So I was I had actually pushed by the police who tried to stop me because I was just frantic to get to my kid. Right. I mean, you understand that. feeling. Oh, yes. But I have it's very traumatizing what you experienced and how you experienced it is traumatizing. I don't know if it's more traumatizing, but to be with the dead body of your child Every time I think about it, it just like rips my heart open again. And I don't know if it's better or not. I mean, maybe it depends on the person or the individual circumstances. But to me, like she was already gone and I just couldn't, I, I don't know. I was able to spend quite a bit of time till the law enforcement came in to sweep the room and then I had to leave. And then the next time I saw her, she was in a body bag. You know, and that's probably what you saw. That's, yeah, that's what I saw. And I right. didn't want to see that. Actually, and it haunts me. It haunts me. And I think any parent, you know, every yeah. circumstance is a little different, right? And I don't know if it's right to keep the mom away or not. I don't know. Yeah. But I think everybody's. You just want to, I just wanted to hold her one more time. Right. And I, I was able to do that. And I kept saying, I love you. I love you. I love you. Uh, but I mean, she wasn't there. And I was looking for where's. Where's Jesus in the corner? Where's the angel? Where's the sense of peace that she's okay? I didn't get that. Yeah. I can tell you in that moment, death felt like nothing. 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 I remember getting home that evening and just looking up at the sky. And I'm, I'm living for my kids, my husband, but how I'd be okay if I were to be gone because I'd be with her. And I don't, you know, I think a lot of parents think that way, but you just have to stay strong. Right. One of the hardest things was going back home that night and having to give, bring Gavin and Jack and tell so, them what happened. Telling them was very hard. Your sisters died. That was really, really hard. Yeah, I, I know. I we had to tell our other kids too, and it's, it's surreal when you think back. When you think back to that night, and now you know you're, you've gotten used to the idea. Not that you like it, Mm-mm. but you've gotten, and they have had to you know, get used to the idea that night, that of having to tell them of everything that happened around telling them was just, it's surreal now when I think back yeah, to it. Very yeah. surreal. 
kind of don't remember a whole lot about it either because right. you're just so, on such an adrenaline. Well, we not knowing pa- what to do. The pastor do. came over to your mom's yeah, house. The pastor, the pastor came. came back with us to the house. That's what happened help. with us too. A pastor yeah. came back. He was very good to us too. Mm-hmm. That's huge. So we should we should tell all any pastor that might be listening. For both of our families, we had a pastor there. Yeah. Went mm-hmm. with our other kids who came to our house. Just you know was there, and it was just sort of um, having an outside person maybe helped. I think. Yes. Yes. You know. Or at least help us keep keep a grip on things. Mm-hmm. And how have your boys done? I know that they were close to their sister, and they're amazing kids. They will talk about her when they they feel the need. Our oldest son Gavin a little bit more than than the younger Jack. So they're like fourteen and sixteen now. Uh, fourteen and fifteen. Fourteen and fifteen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're yeah. very close. In age. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're born in the same year. Yeah, they. <laughs> Less than 11 months apart. <laughs> yeah. They have a lot of similar friends. Kids yeah. have a different way of dealing with it, they don't do. they? They do. And they they're, they're very concerned. About, yes, that's what I find too. My kids don't show it a lot. And especially at those ages, they're so wrapped up in their own lives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're growing. They've had so much loss in their little lives yeah. before Shayla even. Um, so I think they've learned to deal with death in a way that I never had to when I was their age. But yeah, they... You know, sometimes I'll hear them cry, especially after, right afterwards. I would hear them cry in their bedrooms, and I wouldn't interrupt. I just let them have their their time to. And don't you feel like, at least with when my children are, were very concerned about me, you know, yes. about mom and dad. You know, how mm-hmm. how are we gonna? Am I gonna? Because they still need you, right? And I think that kids can pick up on that sense of just that devastation where you don't even feel like going on, which is a perfectly normal reaction to the death of a child. Mm-hmm. They just give me a hug when they see me starting to cry or something triggers you and and be okay. Gavin will just give me a big old hug and you just have to release that, that those tears when it comes. Just kind of wash, washed away for the moment. What do you think is the hardest thing about losing a young daughter who's kind of just starting in adulthood? I'll just start it off by saying for me, it's that lost potential of all the hopes and dreams, you know, you had for them. Right. One thing I'm going to miss is the bond those three could have together in their older life with their kids. So I thought about that a lot, how my kids will be with their siblings? Are they going to be like me and my sisters with their kids? And I'll miss that, them having a big sister. I always tell them that she's always going to be there. She's, she's your angel now. She's, she'll be there when you get married and have your kids and graduate you, high school. And do you feel like she's with you? I do. How? Gosh, I can feel her giving me a hug. <laughs> There's times when I just tell her, Sheila, I need a hug. Feel it, the energy. Where there's energy, there will always be energy. So I do feel that she's here with me. Right. The essence, the soul, the energy, whatever you want to call it, it doesn't die. Mm -mm. The body Mm -hmm. dies. And that's what you miss is seeing. That physical presence. Yes. I think your love and for her, the love that you two had for Shayla lives forever, forever, and the love she had for you lives forever. I really believe that. I do. I believe that, too. I just think following these types of horrible tragedies in our families, 
for me anyway, it's just been hard to under, I just want to know what happens next, you know? And I just want to know that my kid is okay. Yes. And you can't really know that, right? Mm-hmm. I, mean, I think some of our ideas of heaven and hell are sort of juvenile. <laughs> you yeah. know? We think there's this place that, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I, I was raised Christian Catholic, mm-hmm. and but I've questioned a lot of things since the loss of my daughter. We have as well. We have too. I think we're finally ready to get going back to church. It's hard to go we to church haven't. afterwards, isn't it? it is we hard. really haven't been, well... COVID. Yeah, so then COVID came in, right, up, but, right. But our youngest son's ready to get confirmed, so just do it. Let's go back to church. Get and not that the, our, church was, our church was great to us, but... Yes, it was. It's just, it's just hard to go back to that same place where we said goodbye to her. That, the funeral, and also, yeah. like, for me, I thought of all the time I spent growing up taking her to church every Sunday in that yeah. church, so mm-hmm. uh, Christmas programs and just all kinds of things. every Sunday. Just. And then also... You know, once people know what happened, and of course, in my case, I'm very public about it. Mm-hmm. I'm up in the public eye. I always feel like people look at you a little bit differently. And I don't know that that's always with sympathy. Sometimes it's with judgment. Oh, gosh, I'm sure. Yeah. Have you felt I, I that? Thought, I think about that. Like, Yeah. I mean, I think people are going to judge me as a parent. You think they like are or they aren't? Good parents because she was doing this. Yeah. Doing drugs. I don't know. Um, yeah. We kind of had a a hard time with Shayla in high school as well. And I know a lot of parents didn't agree with a lot of things that I did, even though, how do I want to say this? They judged me even then. Because your kid was maybe doing some things she shouldn't, was acting a little bit out of control. Well, I think she was kind of manipulating the fact that we weren't taking care of her type of a thing. Parents would just house my daughter for months and not call me. It was a rough teenage years. It was a rough teenage years, so... She, she manipulated people and told lies at things that, like in the house that were like we kicked her out. We true. did kick her out. So anyway, well, I, I've, I, I've always had that from other parents. But, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I get it. I, you know, when you're dealing with a difficult teenager, it's so easy on the outside for people to judge or to think you shouldn't do this or you should do that, especially if the teenager is telling them how bad you are, yeah, <laughs> how rough they have it. I mean, that's what they do, right? Yeah. And, you know, Emily at 18 years old took off for four days and didn't come back. And I set her stuff on the front step because I'm like, I got these other kids at home. I I can't have you doing that, yeah. you know? Tough love. And I still, tough love. And now I, those were the hardest things ever to do as a oh, parent. Course, yeah. Don't you agree? Yes. yes. Like I hated doing, and now I I don't, if I had to go back and rewrite and do all that, I don't think I would do the same exact things. Um, But I was doing what a lot of people advised me to do. I was doing what, you know, what I thought was best at the time. Um, But we did too. We thought it was the best thing. And something I tell her now, um, like, sorry, Shayla, you're my first one. I kind of my, (laughs) didn't really know exactly what to do. I just kind of doing as my parents did it raising me, that some things just weren't acceptable in my house. Right. She she would leave and not come back, (laughs) being housed with other people. And I always thought that, and I'd I'd always be the one to go pick her up. And I would, I would look at her and I'd stop the car and I'd say, there's no one in this world that can love you more than me. I don't care what you're doing. I don't judge you, but you will have to follow my rules in the house because I do love you more than any of these other people do. It's hard. 
And so she knew. She knew that you she loved her. Knew. Oh, gosh, yes. Yeah. And none of us are perfect parents. I mean, we do our best, and we love our kids. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where there should be no place for judgment, because unless you walked a mile in another parent's shoes, how dare you judge them? Right. And you don't know what's really going on in that home behind closed doors. You don't know. Right. You know, I've had what you're talking about, similar things, that, that feeling of, you know, another parent takes the kid in and never talks to you about it. Never talks yeah. about it. Yeah, there was a couple in that. Yeah, it was hard for me. Dave. Took her in and then yeah, judged us, um, but never called and asked mm-hmm. what's going mm-hmm. on. So we talked about you know the horrible night of her death and you know that trauma experience. How do you think all of this has changed you, and how has it changed you with your other kids? It's permanently changed me. I worry more. Yeah, especially the kids are getting. They both got their driver's license now. Because you know you can lose a child. Every time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know it can happen. Before this happens, you don't know. Yeah. I mean, life is very fragile, so I'm, I'm really protective like a, of them. Like a few weeks after Shayla's death. Yeah, Jack. We're, we're just sitting in the house watching TV. It was at night. And all of a sudden, I, Jack was taking a shower. He's our youngest. He was taking a bath. Or he's taking a bath. He wasn't feeling well. All of a sudden, we heard this huge thump. I was like, what the heck was that? We go in there. He's passed out on the floor in the bathroom. This is right after Shayla. I'm like, this cannot happen again. This cannot happen again. I pick him up, and I'm like patting him on the face, trying to make him wake up. And he, after like, what was it, like two minutes, he finally came back to, and I pull him out of the bathroom, and he passes back out again. And I got him up against the wall, and I'm hitting him on the face, trying to make him wake up. And it happened a third time. We had to call an ambulance, and that was, are we really going to lose another kid? That was horrible. Yeah, right. But he ended up being okay. So. And I do. I tell my kids now. My kids are, you know, nineteen, and twenty, and twenty-one. And I tell them, you know, I, I, I just need to know where you are and that you're okay. I don't. I don't need to know everything about your life. Or, but I have this anxiety because yeah. I know that I can lose a child, and what's to stop me from losing another one? You know, and. You don't ever. You don't. You don't want to let your mind go there, but you just know the reality it's in the back of it. Of your head a lot. Yeah. Yeah. What helped? What helped you the most? What has helped you? Have you? Do you feel like you've had any healing? And I know it's only been a couple of years, and I'm just starting friends. to feel a little. I don't know. I, I went through some counseling. Did it help afterwards? It did. It helped for Jeanette, and it didn't help for Dave. I don't think it helped. Do you? I just said it did. And how did it help you, Jeanette? He just gave me some tools to work with, you know, instead of dealing with all my emotions at one time. I have a, a shed that I pull one emotion out when I'm ready to deal with it. That's helped me out quite a bit instead of having everything pile on you at one time and try and sort it all out. I, that's the part I liked about it. But it didn't help you, Dave. No. And you felt it didn't help you. Why? You weren't. You didn't try. I spoke with but for now, him okay, this brings time. up a Sorry. really okay. This brings up a really interesting point, and probably to my next question. People grieve differently. Mm-hmm. Different things help different people through grief. And when you're in a marriage, I mean, marriage is tough anyway. A lot of the time, right? I mean, I, I you guys are still together, so I trust <laughs> things are okay. But the death of a child. I mean, I've seen it where it's broken up marriages. So do you feel that do you feel that you two grieve differently 
And has it caused um, a, any struggles within your marriage or has it made your bond stronger or how has it affected that? It really tore us apart for a good year after Shayla. Was there blame? No blaming. Um, I'm more of the emotional one. I can see that, that you carry the emotions. That, that cry yeah. a little bit more and often and think, and I think about it like every minute of every day. And then sometimes I see how he can deal with it and I'm just, wish I could deal with it like him sometimes. I try to not show as much emotion because I know just to be stronger for her. You know, she's grieving hard, crying, whatever. I try not to just to. And that's hard. I think that's put on, put on men a lot. That's put on men a lot that you have to be the strong one to carry the rest of the family through. I don't think that's always fair either. That isn't. But I think it's culturally, you know, how you're conditioned. Just to preface this, Shayla's, I'm Shayla's dad, but I'm not her biological father. I was in her life from when she was three years old. You're her dad. We got married when Shayla was, what, six? I don't think it matters. It I doesn't. don't think it does either. She's all, she's been in my. I think she sees you as her dad and yeah. still sees you as her dad. Mm-hmm. I think so. Have things gotten better? I mean, you said that first year was hard because of the different way you grieve. Have things gotten better? You're hanging in there, obviously. In there, yeah. You're here together. Yeah. <laughs> the love for our boys, I think, and for each other will keep us strong. Yeah, and nobody can really understand what you've been through like the other one, you know, mm-hmm. for each other. Right. Like even though you may show your emotions differently or you may act differently, you get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we feel other people's pain now, too, of losing a child. Very many people have to experience that. Unfortunately, it's getting more common with... It is fentanyl and the drug supply when you talk about and that's part of the reason why I do this podcast you know we've got 223 mostly young people dying every day of overdose there are thousands tens of hundreds of thousands of parents out there like us I wish they could get rid of this fentanyl and there was fentanyl in Shayla's drug that she took and what has happened with that case well, we did get a call from the state's attorney that they did find the person who sold to Shayla, and they are going to... Well, they found the guy that sold to Shayla, and then they that guy turned on the guy that he bought it from. So the guy that's actually on trial is was a step above him, and he's not, as of now, has not given up another name. So, so anyway, they are going to be charging him. The plea deal for him is 10, 10 years for distri- distribution and then 15 years for her life. So, yeah, we got that phone call about six months ago, and this is about the third time it's been rescheduled. It's now delayed to December 6th. So it's being drug out in the court system. Yeah. It's taking a long time. I mean, obviously, we're two years out from mm-hmm. when she died, just a little over two yeah. years. Yeah. But do you feel, does that help? Does having some sort of justice or having someone who supplied her with the drug being held accountable, are you glad that that's happening? I'm glad that it is happening. I'm glad it's happening. Um it kind of brings up all those emotions that we had. You have to relive it every time and, in court. Yeah. yeah. On, the, on the, In 2019, I mean, it kind of brings all that those emotions back up. But one question they had asked us of what we're looking for out of this, and honestly, I don't know. I guess I want this person who sold the drugs to, to have to dwell on what he did, maybe enough, long enough prison time so he can get clean. 
and have some sort of emotion for other human beings. Because at this point, it doesn't look like he's taking anything seriously. He's just kind of shrugging it off. It's awfully hard for people to face sometimes, you know, the consequences of their actions, right? Mm -hmm. He's a young kid, too. How old is he? Uh, 26. Did did he know there was fentanyl in it? That's something, you know, I know Dave and I look at this differently. Um, Well, the guy that sold it to her overdosed a week before mm -hmm. and got the um, Narcan. The Narcan helped him. But he sold that same drug that he overdosed on to Shayla. And then left her at the house by herself. So when we actually showed up at the house that night, that guy was sitting on the front steps with the cops. We didn't know this at the time. I had no idea who the guy was. Mm-hmm. It was dark. It was nighttime. But he was sitting on the front steps, so he had came back to the house at some point and found her. And there was no Narcan for Shayla. There was, it was no, he, tr- he tried three times, Dave. Well, no, I'm going to just didn't. Narcan didn't. Didn't yeah, help. Yeah. I, I think what's so hard to understand, because we're not heroin addicts and we're not doing this, and so we try to logically understand you know, how someone could overdose and then turn around and sell it. Yeah. But I sat through, think, yeah. no, it's not, though, too. it's the illness. I sat through two weeks of trial for the dealers that were bringing it with the supply that killed my daughter uh, came from two dealers who were bringing it in from Chicago and several people died. I mean, several people. Uh, and he, he, she didn't get it directly from them, but it was, a, you know, right. by the way of them. It was unbelievable to me to sit there and listen to the testimony of the various heroin addicts who got up and testified and how they thought and their thought process. They're always like, I'm just going to get some more to help this person out. I'm going to help this person out because they know, you know, they're constantly seeking that high. And then they know if they don't get it, they're going to get sick. And they, they said, that's how they look at it. And it's a completely different world. And their whole world revolves around when are they going to get the drug? How are they going to get the drug? How are they going to get the money for the drug? Who else needs the drug in my friend group? Who am I going to take care of or help out? I kept hearing so helping out. And so it's, yeah, it's really hard as a parent, you know, and somebody who isn't suffering from substance use disorder to understand it doesn't make logical sense. Yeah. It never will. And it never will. How, how somebody can overdose or how Emily could see a friend three weeks before she died, overdose and die and then continue to use. They don't think, well, I don't think they don't think it's going to happen to them. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Never going to happen to me. What's been the most helpful or healing thing for you guys in all of this? Tell you what, my mother has been very strong for me. I honestly couldn't do it without her. And I think just being her outside, were very close. being outside and looking at the sky Watching birds. Nature. Butterflies. Yeah. I just, it, it's about the only healing thing I can do. As years go on, hopefully I can have more of an idea of what to do. Um, but I think we just went to your um, event on the 31st of August. And I tell you, that helped me tremendously. Um, knowing there's other mothers, fathers going through the same thing we are. Yeah, you don't want anybody else to go through it. Now you're talking about International Overdose Awareness Day, which is actually the anniversary of Shayla's death. Yeah. What a way to to spend the day doing something like that, though. And I worked myself to be so, like, hold together that day. And and I did. I did a really good job. It was the following day that I broke down. 
What do you want Shayla to be remembered for? Her hugs. Her good spirit. Yeah. Beautiful smile. Is there anything that you've done or you've been considering doing to kind of keep her legacy alive of who she was? I I do this with my daughter's art. Mm. You know, that's really important to me, Mm. to share her art. Other than just talking about her, I just haven't come up with well, I don't think you, yet. It could be something no. small. It could be like the tiniest of things. Yeah. A star constellation tattooed on my arm. And what is the meaning behind that? She had the same one on her arm. So I just thought it would be kind of fun to have something that she had. But, you know, Christmas comes around, we buy her an ornament. Getting together on her birthday still. And What do you want people to know about parents who have gone through this kind of thing? Are there certain things that have been said to you that are helpful or hurtful or, you know, do you feel like people are understanding and kind for the most part? Or do you think? I do feel that people are kind for the most part. Sometimes they just don't know what to say. And something, you know, it's okay to say something to me about her. I would like you to do that. Um, Is it able for me to talk about her? You know, it's, it's okay to ask me how I'm doing. Right. I think people are afraid they're going to bring it up with any sort of loss. Right. You know, I'm going to bring it up and they aren't thinking about it right now, but it's always right there Mm -hmm. and somehow they're going to upset you. Yeah. And no, I love it when you bring her up. Don't say sorry when you bring her up. I think people are more comfortable talking to me because I talk about it so publicly, right? So they know, well, she's always talking about it so Mm -hmm. I can talk about it, but but you're not, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think it's, and I've heard that from a lot of parents. They want to they wanna say their child's name. Oh, you do? Because yeah. she existed and she mattered. Yeah. I still say good morning, Sheila, every day. I think that the grief is something that is so overwhelming at first. Do you know what I mean? Like at first, like you can't even barely function yeah. as a human being. Nothing I mean, just is coherent like, to you at all. Right. And then it never goes away, but you just kind of learn that it's there, right? Mm-hmm. Like that you're just there. You heard a mom say on one of your podcasts how, it just gets different as time goes on. It's always going to be heavy on us. I'll never get yeah, over I it. I remember that. But it, it is different. Every year is just a little bit different. I'm putting out a, a new blog called The Dance Between Grief and Joy. Mm. Because even though we all have heavy hearts in this recording studio right now, there are still times where, you know, you can laugh. I, something happens and, and you f- oh, you're out in nature. That helps me a lot too. I'm mm-hmm. completely like you, Jeanette, where I just need to go for a walk or a hike or see some birds, hear them, take my dogs, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But there's there can still be joy. And I think the first few months after you lose a child, you don't think you're ever going to feel that again. I mean, smiling is hard to do. You almost feel guilty. Yeah. We went on a family trip um, to the lake in August. Um and I came home. We had such a great time. We did. But then I came home and I'm like, is it okay to be happy <laughs> without her there? Yes, you it know? is. And she would want that for you, right? She would, yes. So, but I totally get what you're saying because I have felt the same way. Mm-hmm. I, you can't have too much happiness because you still have this heavy heaviness in your heart. But I often think that if I had died, I mean, I would want any one of my kids to live an amazing, beautiful, happy life, right? And so I know our children want want the same for us. It's just so darn hard to do. Mm -hmm. And some people aren't able to do it. You know, I've I've written about 
Connie, the friend of mine, she was actually supposed to be on the podcast and, you know, she took her own life. She couldn't live with the loss of her son. And she had another son and a grandchild and a husband, you know, because sometimes I think these, like these things keep us going, your husband, your children, you know, keep you going, but not everybody. And she also had some underlying mental health issues, but not everybody is able to, to pull themselves kind of up by their bootstraps and find that joy again. It's hard. Um, you do have to think about your loved ones that are still here because they're hurting as well. What's another loss going to do? You know, I know we've had suicide in our family, and it's, it's just as hard to deal with. Do you think that overdose deaths are becoming less stigmatized, or do you still feel the stigma? You know, that was something that a lot of her friends were speculating, was that she took her own life and intentionally overdosed. And that was something we wanted to make clear. No. That was not the case. She loved her life. They're, they're not asking for this. I think I'm getting off track here. No, I understand what you're saying because people thought the same thing about my daughter, right? Oh, she took her own yeah. life. And that's... But I don't know in the end that it really matters. But now, I mean, now that I've had several years go by, whether she had completed suicide or accidentally overdosed, in, in both our daughter's cases, they accidentally overdosed. Either way, they're gone. Right. Oh, yeah. And either way, it was something that they did, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And not, you know, it was unintentional. They didn't know fentanyl or that dosage of fentanyl was in their drug but it's hard because that's that's one of the reasons why I wanted to own my own story and not have other people tell it that's one of the reasons why I came forward and spoke out about it because I want to I want it to be accurate thank you yes I know my mom did that on I'm not on Facebook but my mom shut down a lot of people please stop talking about this you're not you don't have your story straight you don't have the Facts. We didn't want all the gossip. That was hard on my mom, you know, to have to see that. And yeah, it's a tough road. It's all hard to navigate. It is. And there's no clear, like, roadmap, like, here's what you do and, you know, here's how you still be a good mom. Here's how you still have a good marriage. Here's how you learn to live with the loss of your child. Because it just shouldn't happen in this order. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel good. I wanted to be there first. It's not the way it should work. I've heard it said that grief is love with nowhere to go, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And it is. It's just all the love that you had for Shayla. And what do you do with it now, right? And it, and I, I, I know how difficult it is. And so whenever I ask parents to do that, do this, to come in and talk to me, I really keep that in mind. You know, this is not an easy conversation. And I'm asking you to kind of lay it out there. But you guys agreed, and you're here talking to me. Yeah. We My- want to bring awareness, too. Um, to be honest, Angela, I've, after Jayla passed, and I was back to work, I'd walked upstairs, and you were on the TV, and I just sat there and listened to your voice, and just knowing that you went through it. It, was, it meant the world to me. <laughs> oh. Well, I'm so touched by that, Jeanette. I- you know, and I... Also, the year that you came on the news and talked about your daughter, I sat there and listened to you and just felt so bad that you had to do this, being in the public eye. And I just remember going out and telling Dave this was the most insane story I've ever heard. And she's, little did I know, 18 months later, I'd be feeling your pain. Yeah. 
No, you would have no idea that was going to also happen to you. The day that Emily died, I was working on a story on overdoses. Oh, really? Yeah. So I didn't know that was going to happen to me. I mean, obviously I knew my daughter had a problem, but I never thought she was doing heroin. And I didn't think there was a risk of her overdosing. I really didn't. Who puts a needle in her arm? Right. (laughs) Who puts our Our girls did that. Yeah. You know? It was a needle for Shay. Yeah, it was a needle for Emily. And I, I don't think either one of our minds could have at the time ever gone there. We would never have done that. We didn't teach that. We didn't, we, we wouldn't, we would have been horrified, right? And I just think the more that we band together as parents who've lost kids in this way, and the more we talk about it, the more likely we are to save lives. I agree with you. I feel like even if one life is saved, mm-hmm. you know, something really? something really cool that we'll share with our podcast audience is on International Overdose Awareness Day, your son's entire football team came out to yeah. listen to the talks. And, you know, it was just three moms, myself and two other moms who'd lost kids in this way, who started this event three years ago. Yeah. We just started it. We're like, we're just going to do this. Right. And now we've had all these partners come, you know, yeah. by our sides. More families are there because more people have lost since then, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And now these kids are coming. Your, your son's friends are out listening to this. Mm-hmm. And I just think one life. And they've never heard it talked about like that before. And if you saw the looks on their faces, they were really paying attention. I really thought it was what they needed to hear. And so, that, so coming from real families. From other parents that's able to be there and experience that. And as horrible and as tragic and as awful and as devastating as Shayla's death is, her death may have saved so many lives you don't even know. Mm-hmm. You know, just by I those young know. kids getting that message. I mean, that's kind of what keeps me going, yeah. is that I think through Emily's story, even if one family doesn't have to go through it, we've been through. Definitely. I agree. It'd be nice if we could save everybody. Right. Our experiences. I really thought right away when I was talking about it, well, this shouldn't happen to anybody else now, but it happens again and again. And we just have to press on. We do. Well, I just so appreciate you guys opening up and sharing your beautiful daughter, Shayla's story with us, with the listeners of our podcast. I'm so honored to know you guys. And I'm so grateful that you've come alongside me and and my efforts with Emily's hope and, you know, nothing I can say or do I know is going to make it any better, Mm -hmm. but I think you letting other people know what you've been through and that they're not alone Mm -hmm. is huge. So thank you. Thank you, Angela. Thank you for having us too. Thank you for joining me for Grieving Out Loud. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider leaving a positive review you can hear more episodes and read my blog on our website, emilyshope.foundation. Wishing you faith, hope, and courage.